Hi, everybody, and welcome to No Country. My name is J. David Osborne, and that is Chris Sacknesson. Chris, how are you doing this evening? I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm angry sometimes, but, you know, that's what my psychologist friend said was okay. So, yeah, I, I'm really good. It's important. It's important to be angry. I was going. I was going to. I was going to pick up some food this evening, and I was driving back home, and I almost got rear-ended. And when I pulled off uh, with a with a narrow miss, I glanced at the driver who had almost hit me, and uh, they were wearing a mask inside their car, all alone. So clearly, personal safety is very important to them. Uh, doesn't really extend to being able to drive worth a shit, but hey, they got they had the mask on, so all good. They're choosing kindness, David. <laughs> they are indeed choosing kindness. I feel like we're in similar moods today. I feel the vibe today, and I think this is going to be a good one. I know that too. So he's growling. He's growling. He's getting in touch with his inner dog. The dog is coming yeah. out, like like James Elroy's The Demon Dog. That's Chris Sacknesson right now. The Demon Dog is coming out. So, Chris, this world is very difficult to navigate at times. Well, I say difficult. I move through it with relative ease, just minor psychic pain here and there. But it is confusing. There are a lot of things that are thrown at us seemingly on a daily basis. And I think you wanted to start here with with something that is actually kind of cool, I think, in both of our opinions. But there's there's another aspect to it that needs discussing. So do you want to tell the people what you want to talk about today? Yeah. Well, we're looking at the state of California, which is my native state, which I think is truly the golden state. You know, it, it, it's a great place in the world from any point of view, whether you're looking at it scenically, geographically, geologically, uh, natural history-wise, culture-wise. I mean, it's really hard to get around California as one of the great centers of interesting and almost frenetic excitement on a worldwide scale. And I'm very proud to be a native Californian. Um, but no, that's not to say that I want to be back in California. Nope. And I'm only just across the border, you know, in Nevada. But I, I'm actually glad I don't live in California because I, I have, I, I went to visit, as, as listeners, you know, might remember, uh, did a trip up through L.A. during, you know, hot summertime, Malibu, on up to Big Sur. You know, I kind of did a real... A road trip of California mythology. And I do still feel its power. I, I think it is still there, but I'm very grateful I don't live there uh, at the moment. But I, I think one of the issues that, that, that caught my mind, caught my mind um, is a very strange, interesting story about uh, a, a proposal in front of uh, the California school system, particularly Southern California, as in Los Angeles County, mm -hmm. Los Angeles, you know. Uh, the idea is for students to pray, as in deliver chants, mm -hmm. celebrating, 
Aztec gods. Now, this is a story that Fox News uh, just feed it upon because they love campus craziness and they love any liberal sort of thing happening in the K through 12 group as, as well, especially. But on the other hand, on the other hand, I mean, I, I'm of, I'm of about five minds about this because mm-hmm. I want people to know about Aztec gods and blood sacrifice and strangeness Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, I support some really, you know, basic working class uh, families who go, well, wait a minute. When is this going to end? We're, you know, the American flag comes down in the classroom. Children are, are told to salute the pride, you know, LGBTQ flag. I mean, where does it end? So I, I'm of many minds about this. I, I love <laughs> I love Aztec culture. I I think blood sacrifice is a really cool thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure we shouldn't bring it more formally back Mm -hmm. into the world today. But then I get looked at strangely when I say that. So my question back to liberal people who say, well, yes, we we, we should allow and support uh, children praying in the sense of chanting and learning the poems and culture of sacrificially driven Aztec gods of the past, I wonder, well, how much do you really believe that? So that's my starting point. I think that's, so what's really interesting about the specific God that they would have been, uh, that they would be praying to here, it's, um, it's Tezcatlipoca. Which well is done. which is Gosh, the, you're not just from Oklahoma. No, I lived in El Paso too, man. So Tezcatlipoca is um, the god of the of the um, of Ursa Major, right? In uh, in Aztec cosmology, and I'm not an expert on Nahuatl's mythology, uh, but you know, as with any mythology, there are gods that fight. So Tezcatlipoca will fight Quetzalcoatl, and you know they'll kind of go back and forth. What I think is interesting about the way that Tezcatlipoca is represented is uh, generally with one of his feet represented by an obsidian mirror. And I tend to think, like, we all know that obsidian mirrors are used for scrying, of course. But as has been pointed out in, uh, you know, many kind of occult blogs and podcasts, you know, what we all kind of carry around a scrying mirror in our pockets now every day. So it would be interesting that the specific God that they picked to pray to uh, kind of carries around an iPhone everywhere. And I think I think that's <laughs> that's kind of worth uh, worth thinking about. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's lovely. You know, I was gonna think, well, you know, in the Tibetan Book of the Dead, you know, the, the mirror uh, of karma that the Lords of the Death present you with is, is your own life. But I, I love the idea of you bringing it back to a more um, sort of generational issue of, of iPhones. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. that's well, the problem. That's an interesting sort of... You know, that would throw a spanner in the works. 
But do, do people know what a spanner in the works means? It means like throwing a wrench in the in the in the gear yeah, wheels. Yeah, wrench in the gears. Yeah, exactly. But I think your point is really well taken here, and that is that you and I are far from the first people who are going to say, "Oh, you should never pray to," you know. Aztec blood gods, which by the way, this was the god that actually introduced blood sacrifice to Mexico in the mid 10th century. Uh, it was brought, uh, I want to say it came from Guatemala, but I might be getting that wrong. Anyway, the point is, is that before this, they weren't sacrificing people like that. Anyhow, you and I talk about this kind of stuff all the time. And we, uh, are big fans in most cases of kind of syncretic religions um, we, we think that obviously people should be able to pray to whoever they want to pray to. However, in our last episode, we talked about a very important word and that word is optics. And a lot of people, I think, are just trying to live normal lives. They're just trying to be normal. And what I mean by that is that they are trying to raise their children, go to work, go home, turn on the TV and watch, you know, friends or whatever on Netflix. And I think that this is just, it's just kind of a lot to throw at people all at once. And it feels like this kind of process is accelerating at a pace that uh, it's the, the wheels are actually going to come completely off because, because it's just spinning too fast. There's too much coming at people too quickly. And you're going to see a lot of people turn, turn conservative really, really quickly. You know, I mean, I, I feel like I've mentioned on this show to you before that it's like I kind of magically became a conservative because I stopped moving for like three years, right? So I'm I'm basically a progressive from, well, we'll say five years ago, right? Like I'm a progressive back then. And then five years later, all of a sudden, I am no longer in that place because the acceleration is just so fast and the kind of mental gymnastics you have to do and the the principles that you are not allowed to to hold anymore in order to keep up with the rapidly shifting times, uh, there's going to be a lot more people like me who are all of a sudden kind of left behind with all this stuff. You mean you don't want to be a pink hippopotamus who thinks that science doesn't matter while you're told to follow the science and on and on and on of endless intellectual contradictions of the most brutally stupid kind. I like, Is that what you're saying, David? I really like the term pink hippopotamus. <laughs> Do you want to be a pink hippopotamus? No, uh, no, I mean, no, I don't, I don't want to be a pink hippopotamus, actually. I feel like a lot of these questions are more than open to, I don't know, debate, but I don't want to just blindly follow and be yelled at when I don't blindly follow. It's just, you know, the records of what, of the kind of things that people say uh, are, are public because social media keeps everything that you've ever posted ever. And you really can just go back three or four or five years and find people saying things that would just be absolutely forbidden today. And I really, it's just, it's worth kind of stepping back for a second. Everybody just take a deep breath, step back and think about time. Think about deep time and how long things actually take and really situate yourself as a human being in this present moment uh, in in a long, you know, oh, I don't know, 100,000 year history of human development. Um, 
we're a blip on the radar, and that's all we'll ever be in this lifetime. Th- things aren't supposed to move this fast, right? We're supposed to be able to sit back on a porch and smoke a cigarette and drink a beer and relax and not think about these things every day of our lives. Yeah, but they're not moving fast at all, actually. They're, they're, it's actually really just a cartoon caricature idea of movement. There's no intellectual, artistic movement whatsoever. Yeah. We've had a death since 1975, really. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, I, I think it's ridiculous. I mean, the people who are promoting like a pink hippopotamus in any kind of way. Well, first of all, hippos are some of the most dangerous creatures on the planet. They're very serious bits of work. And if you're in a river in Botswana and you think a hippopotamus is like to be, you know, played with, well, I wish you luck. Meanwhile, you know, the beautiful idea of pink, pink noise. You know, pink noise is a lovely idea. Pink noise is a waterfall. It's tidal streams. It's a lovely idea. And yet all of these things have been contaminated and caricatured by a political protocol that says, well, we've got to include everyone here and everyone's got to feel good, you know. And it's like, are you kidding? Are you looking around? The world is about things eating each other. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Mm -hmm. hummingbird has no apology for what it does. The lizard is running because it doesn't want to be eaten by a Cooper's hawk. You know, (laughs) where are people coming from? I I just don't understand this. Inclusivity. Well, yeah, it is. It's very inclusive. It's it's Mm -hmm. extremely inclusive. If you move, you can be eaten. There's nothing more inclusive than that. Right. Right. And to my mind, it's all a smokescreen for a new kind of power. Basically, it's a new kind of eating where you basically, so for example, Facebook went down briefly today and a lot of people on Twitter, which was the last remaining social media site that that was up, I think, for a while there, they were kind of making jokes and gloating and, you know, saying, haha, Twitter is the last social media platform standing. And you immediately, without fail, saw some people say, you know, before you before you gloat too much about Twitter going down, I just want you to think about all the people in third world countries who only who can only access the internet if it's through Facebook. Now now they don't have any way to access the internet at all. And you hear that and you think, well, you know, it's okay for you to just say that you're bummed that Facebook is down. You don't have to frame it as a social justice issue, right? Because you don't because you don't really care. You, you haven't thought about those people in weeks, right? But it's almost now that people can't say, I am pissed off about this or I, I don't like this. I've often said that, you know, art criticism, it would be kind of funny if it went back to a kind of Beavis and Butthead, this rules or this sucks kind of criticism, because it might as well. Uh, because at the moment, you know, it's it's like everything has to be couched in this is bad because... And then it's this, you know, long list of crimes against humanity that this piece of artwork has done. And I'm like, you know, you can just you can just not like something or like something on purely aesthetic grounds. Right. And there are many interesting ways to write and talk about 
aesthetic enjoyment when it comes to to artworks but everything has to be you know kind of put into the pocket of this of this kind of uh i don't know fake empathy fake kindness that we're all surrounded by every single day you know the moment i hear someone talk about social justice i instantly think of them as a giant mollusk I don't think of them as human anymore. I, I really don't believe anything they say. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, and I say this from a, f- several practical points of view. Um, you know, I, I've been involved with a really, really integrated neighborhood right now. I mean, I don't know how much more integrated a, a, an effing neighborhood could be than what I'm dealing with right now. And I'm glad about that. I, I, but it is it, it does raise challenges. My student group, I, I have now, I'm very proud that I have retained uh, a, a connection with, and this isn't like every day, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, young people have things to do, like having sex and babies and, and trying to find jobs. And, you know, I'm not saying this, but I am in touch with 126 students over the last five years of teaching. And I think that's a real tribute. Uh, And a lot of anyone who's taught at the university level will appreciate that that's that's just absolutely amazing. And they'll go, you you can't be really true, but that's an exaggeration. Well, I'm telling you, it is true. And what I hear from people is, you know, Everyone is on to the game, mm-hmm. you know, and we know what the game is. Mm. We can't talk about it too easily, otherwise we'll get canceled. But the game is very, very clear. And I think this is going to wash up in the, the next, in the midterm elections, I think it's going to certainly really percolate down to the next level of federal election in America. But I think it's going to change the culture. I, I think that we're we're through with a certain kind of silliness and immaturity and condescension and a- absolute ridiculous proposition that has been given to us over the last few years because, well, you know, as long as it's not the dreaded orange one, anything goes. No, <laughs> that's not a good idea. That's not a good enough platform to build and can maintain a civilization on. I'm sorry. You need a bit more than that. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that we're, we're looking at a time of where some of the silliness, the absurdity, the pathetic, pathetic lack of substance is going to be seen through by young people. I absolutely have some reservations about Gen Z. I do. I do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think, I do believe that you can only fool all the people some of the time. Mm -hmm. Yes, I agree with that. And as a matter of demonstration, what I think Chris and I are talking about right now, I'm going to ask Chris a question 
And it's going to seem like a very simple question, but I'm going somewhere with this. So Chris, what was the, what was the last book that you read? I reread again um, Gregory Bateson's um, Towards an Ecology of Mind. And can you give us some insights that you gleaned from reading? It doesn't, I don't mean to give me a book report. I'm not trying to put you on the spot or anything like this, but I do have a point at the end of all this. But what are, what are some insights that you gleaned from that book? Oh, I have a really clear answer. He had a rich uh, intellectual life that we don't allow people today uh, to have that diversity of experience. He was an anthropologist in New Guinea, Margaret Mead's husband. He was uh, a clinical psychologist. He dealt with uh, serious alcoholics and schizophrenics, and he was a linguistic scholar. Uh, we don't allow people that frame of, of, of possible engagement, uh, mm -hmm. even if their minds are capable of it today. Um, and I think he contributed vitally to all of them. When do you, when do you find time to read? When's, 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 when's your reading time? Do you have a specific reading time? You know, I work on the basis of my drums. Mm, okay. uh, my metal drums call to me. They speak to me like, kind of like nude girlfriends with their butts bent over. You mm -hmm. know, they, they speak to me and they say, look, honey, I, I, you know, <laughs> it, it's a little bit time now. And, you know, I really engage with that. I, I wish that, that that had been more the... Uh, the story of my uh, sexual life, but my drums speak to me, and occasionally certain books do. And and Bateson does speak to me. He's one of the the giant figures of now. I, I think he is solidly in the 20th century because I don't believe we have a 21st century. I really don't believe we have a 21st century, and we're 21 years into it. We do not have one. We do not have a century now the way that we have had in the past. But I look at his career and I look at his contributions across anthropology, psychology in several formats, and anthropology in terms of linguistics, and also just a general humanist cool. You know, mm -hmm. humanist mm -hmm. cool is kind of what I, that's what I think of when I go back to my drums. I think, what do I want to be? Well, I want to be humanist, I want to be cool, and I'm not really going to be a great musician, but I'm going to be a great engager of the drum because the drum has more wisdom than I do. And, and he gives me that. So this is the point that I was trying to make. Number one, that you read a book recently and you got something out of it. But your riff on the book really helps to drive my point home, which is that you have interests that you engage in because they call to you and you answer that particular call. So when we're talking about this constant acceleration and we're talking about how we're expected to kind of swallow things uh, every single day, some new thing that we're supposed to just take and demonize whoever no, whoever doesn't go along with the program, there, there's a way that humans are supposed to, like humans are supposed to be really attracted to drums and want to play them. We're supposed to pick up a book and do a deep reading of that book and glean insights from it because it's more than the 280 characters in a tweet. So I think the reason why I asked you those questions was to give an example 
of how I think people should be in this world if they want some kind of escape from what feels to me like um, a real prison, a real prison. I got on uh, Twitter this morning and I, I scrolled, I read five tweets and I, be, I felt physically ill after reading those five tweets. I can't remember what was in those tweets, which is kind of my point, but I had to, I had to turn the phone off and I, you know, I went back to it a few, maybe five or six hours later after hanging out with my mom and my son uh, for most of the day, but I could not uh, get onto it. You know, I had this wild dream last night and I can't, I can't remember what exactly happened in the dream, but I remember what happened when I woke up and it was the most bizarre, most bizarre way of seeing that I'd, I'd ever seen. Cause I woke up and I went to the restroom and everything that I looked at appeared to be um, almost not sparkling, but there appeared to be like like grain, right? That was kind of like floating in the air, almost like, you know, my eyes weren't properly adjusted, but I'd never seen it quite like this before. It just, it felt like almost film grain or something. And when I went back to bed and woke up, it was still kind of there. And, but I had this feeling in my gut before I knew the whole Facebook thing had happened and that it went down. And I knew in, in my, in my soul that I was just done. And, you know, people used to take uh Chantix before it got taken off the market 15 years after it's, uh, uh, release because it, what happened was it, it would make you sick if you smoked a cigarette. And that's how it got people to stop smoking cigarettes. Of course it was carcinogenic and actually caused the cancer it was trying to prevent which is somewhat plus ironic. Plus it drove but people crazy. Plus and it drove people I, completely I, crazy. I, I did have some wonderful car sex with someone having a breakdown because of Chantix. So, Chantix, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was a desperately uh, unrehearsed and unreviewed drug that got, re- that got just blasted into the market. You know, so mm-hmm. that that's sorry, I don't want to interrupt, but I think this is an important thing of drugs blasted, mm-hmm. shotgunned, shotgunned, you know? Right. I love shotguns, but I, I, I'm not sure I want shotgun as a metaphor for All across right. major ideas and commercial products and pharmaceutical products that can change people's psyches. No, I don't like that idea. No, I don't either. And, you know, so the way that so Chantix would make people sick when they smoke cigarettes. And I feel like whatever that dream was that I had last night made me sick when I get on social media now, because it's just done. You know, I want to uh, learn things. I want to pursue paths of knowledge that require a lot of time to learn not quite as much, uh, not, not as much shallow stuff as I'm used to. I don't want to know 50 factoids at the end of every single day. I want to know one thing after looking at it for a year, studying it for a year. Uh, So it's just these two different modes, right? And I think that if you start to get into that mode, then the way that we live our lives right now starts to look more and more frightening uh, and abhorrent, which is, I think, how it should be looked at. People aren't supposed to live this way. We're just just not. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I have a conflict um, in the moment. Um, 
much younger guy is a former uh like he's he he played two years in the nfl he's like you know a star and um and he's uh a black male gay athlete you know he's a he's a professional he has the body that all men would want to have and he's my fight instructor (laughs) you know and i'm doing some combat training with him and uh he asked me out for for a a drink after you know we like you Mm -hmm. know he's like beating the shit like we've you know been fucking fighting right right you know like I fought with my stepbrother every day for years, every single day that I knew my stepbrother in this life, whether he's still alive or not, we had some sort of terrible fight. And people would go, oh, that's not love. That, that, that's psychotic. And it's like, you know, F off. You know, <laughs> that was our that was our deal. Just stop it. Just go away. You know, mm-hmm. we'll be fine. You know, nobody bled to death, did they? And uh, right. I, I wonder about this new situation of like, and I think it ties back into a theme that you raised in a different register, but I really, really harmonize with it about dispute and the ability to have disputes with people. And to what extent are male disputes now kind of, I mean, okay, yeah, there are points where, you know, where guns come out. I'm not in favor of anyone getting shot or ending up in the ER ward. You know, I'm absolutely not. I've worked in ER wards. I don't want to see, you know, thoracic wounds, you know, of course. But on the other hand, there's a certain way that males uh, relate that seems to me kind of cool. And it, it always seemed kind of cool. All my best friends, all my best friends through age 18 were people how I had some sort of physical confrontation with. I don't know. Maybe that's just a male thing, but, you know, just a male thing. You know, like I'm not going to apologize. for. I think that's kind of the way things are. But I wonder, what are we doing with short-circuiting the possibilities of dispute and and playful, uh, you know, conflict. I mean, I used mm-hmm. to wrestle with my one of my, my key high school girlfriends, and it was so fun, you know? It was a really fun thing. And it, it was fair. She was tough, you know? Mm-hmm. And... Where did all this natural human interaction go? And certainly COVID is, is part of the problem, but, but that, you know, this is much bigger than COVID. So what do you think about that? I think that physical conflict and the way that you're talking about has been completely subsumed into online passive aggression in most cases, because again, not everybody's online, you know, not, not everybody uh snarks and snipes at each other from behind a keyboard there are still people especially where i live in oklahoma who will actually fight each other um and it's kind of nice to see because it does strike me as uh 
a mostly healthy way to kind of get that aggression out. Preferably if people aren't also drunk when they do it. But, you know, if they if they are, then that's just the way it is. But I think that the problem with uh, the constant snarking and sniping is that everybody hurts everybody, but nobody comes out as any kind of winner. So it just kind of, both parties kind of slink away and everybody's embarrassed for them. Whereas, you know, in a physical confrontation, somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. And it's simple. It's beyond words. Uh, Maybe that's the problem. Maybe words in that case are the problem where you've gotten to a point and you're like, okay, we're, we're beyond the point of talking about this anymore. We can't, we're not going to come to any kind of agreement and you have pissed me off and we're going to handle this in a different way. I don't know. I think, I think that that is actually closer to community building than endless board meetings and people raising their hands and having five minutes on the floor. I think people should just fight. We should just go back to that. Bring back the duel, you know, <laughs> bring back the, uh, you know, crossing swords. I was, I was thinking about that the other day that uh, once we introduced guns into things, and I do like guns myself, but once we introduced guns, I mean, we lost the samurai, you know, and I want to, br- I want to bring samurais back. Well, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. You know, I, I think actually um, to really do guns well, whether they be handguns or, or long rifles, you know, is really tricky, actually. Um, I, I think that, I mean, it's really, if you really face off against someone uh, in a reaction shooting context, uh, even at like, you know, seven feet, it's, it's, it's very difficult to deliver a nine millimeter handgun shot the way you really want to all the time. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, that, that takes a real, it takes a lot of, of control of your heart rate. Not, you know, mm-hmm. if nothing else, it's like, you know, the biathlon, you know, that crazy Olympic event where you cross country ski and they do rifle shooting. It's like, wow, you know, that that, that's so a cool. really interesting idea, you know? get that heartbeat going, crunch that snow, cover that ground, but then calm it down to the point where you can shoot really carefully. Um, I, I mean, I really admire people who can shoot well. I, I, I'm fascinated by guns primarily because uh, I, I I just love the feel of them, uh, handguns. Um I I really do support people who want to uh, access extreme firearms only because, well, I look at it like myself. I, I, I have a real interest in um, binoculars and telescopes. And, you know, if I had the money, I would I would get the greatest thing in the world. I would be on Mount Wilson. And that would be my <laughs> my personal telescope you know mm-hmm. um so i understand people who want really serious weapons but on the other hand there are only some that are really cool and some are really nasty you know they're nasty like you know and and they're kind of like hookers you know mm-hmm. they really are i hate to put that that you know guns to nasty women metaphor too clearly but i'm gonna own that because there are some women who are really just nasty bits of business. 
Mm-hmm. And there are some guns that are nasty bits of business. You know, mm-hmm. they really are. I'm sorry, but that's yeah. that's just my point of view. Yeah, no, totally. And I, I think, man, thinking about people, you know, marching through the frigid ice and cold and then having to, to shoot, stuff like that really interests me at this point. I wish that I maybe had the, the time to do that, but that's for another life at this point. It would be cool, but I could still do some kind of physical things. But that's another aspect of this whole thing that we're talking about, whether it's reading books or you know playing drums or getting into fights. It's an actual engagement with the world around you. Uh, conversation, I think, is another way to do that. And I don't mean conversation through Twitter. I mean what we're doing right now. Uh, actually being able to talk and think on your feet and, you know, uh, disagree with people and also agree and, you know, change your opinions if you hear a cool argument. Um, Those are all ways of living that are vital right now, I think. But we have just people who march to Twitter every day, like little soldiers ready to, uh, you know, push their agenda on other people. And it's also tiresome. I'm just tired of a, of like the whole of the authoritarianism. I'm trying to keep my mind uh, peaceful, right? But it's just it's just hard. It's really hard, you know, because it's it's just exhausting. Well, it's interesting you say that because I, you know, I think that is, I mean, in a sense, it's a very odd idea that being peaceful is a difficult position to uh, defend, you know? And we always say, you know, no, no fortress, no siege. This is a Solomon Islands idea that uh, I brought to the party. And, and I think that Dave and I both really believe in this, that the moment, the very moment you circle your wagons, whatever wagons you have to circle, you will bring forth some sort of attack or assault, you actually create the problem. And I think that we need to remember that and and just to disperse ourselves and think, well, okay, what if we're on the move all the time? You know, Mm -hmm. what if we actually don't have really a physical residence or place any more than we need to. I mean, David and Rios and Gus, okay, they're raising a, a young boy. Okay, they, they, they're kind of fixed. But we don't know their address necessarily. And it's not to say they couldn't move or, you know, really scramble out quickly. I, I think that you probably could scramble out quick, more quickly than a lot of people. And oh, yeah. We, we need to stay on the move in our minds and in our lives as much as possible because the bottom line here is that no one knows and there are no guarantees about the internet being up, you know, or your bank account being good or, you know. I mean, where are the guarantees of that really? All of that takes one flick of the switch and you're gone. You know, there's yes, nothing. That, yes, then it's yes. what's in your mm-hmm. your house, your heart, your marriage, your family, you know? Mm-hmm. And this is where we're all at, you know? And at least you got a hot wife and a good son, 
You know? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Two very important things. And I love the point about the internet being able to be flipped on and off because that, if nothing else, comes out of today. Because as you've told me, Facebook is back up. So that means Instagram's back up. But what this really proves is that, you know, you have everything uh, that right now that's digital. And, you know, I heard recently about the, the necessity to have certain documents notarized. Um, because if the internet goes down, a lot of people keep their documents online and they would just be gone. So you might not be able to prove that you actually own the house that you live in because it might all be on the internet. Well, what if the internet doesn't exist? But this all has me thinking about community and in-person action. And I wanted to tell you about this performance piece that I saw on Saturday. Uh, my buddy Eric held a, a show opening that had performance pieces. I did a reading that you helped me with that was very cool. Um, I was sort of the opener. A lot of people hadn't trickled in yet, so I was hoping for maybe 50 people. It was more like 30. And then eventually, of course, there was like 100, but I was the opening act, you know? So I didn't get to, you know, kind of do the performance to as many people as I would have liked to. But um, one of the performances had a friend of mine who's been with this uh, Estonian performance troupe called Non Grata, and they do all kinds of crazy shit. They brand each other. They uh, they light pig heads on fire with flamethrowers. They shoot darts at each other. Just really crazy Mad Max-looking creatures from Tallinn, Estonia. Uh, and Danny was taken under their wing and uh, brought that kind of aggressive aesthetic back to back here to Oklahoma. So his piece, for his piece, he had uh, my friend Eric blow into a conch shell and he walked out in a long trench coat with a loaded, actually loaded, assault rifle over his shoulder, right? Now these are highly charged images to be bringing into an art gallery, right? So he, uh, he racks the slide on the assault rifle and he undoes the clip, takes the bullets out, forms a circle around himself, takes his jacket off, uh, has the audience light tea lights, which they then place around his person. And he begins to do something that sounds like throat singing into a mic that's running through this echo echo pedal, right? So it's this, you know, it's this kind of thing. Go, and he's he's blowing into this wood yeah. instrument in a really aggressive way. And it, it just go, went on and on for maybe 10 or 15 minutes. And I was looking around the room <laughs> at, at people who were just, just oh their, their mouths were hanging open, right? And they wanted to make sure everybody knew how offended they were, that there was you know, live animation <laughs> at this, at, the, at, at, at this performance. Right. And when it was done, I went up to Danny and I gave him a hug and I said, that was the most amazing thing that I've ever seen. Like I said, that was the medicine that I needed right now, because number one, you really bothered some people tonight and the feeling of tension in the room was palpable. You could have cut it with a knife, but secondly, you know, it was just a really powerful uh, aesthetic and and sonically interesting performance, right? And I and when I asked him what it was about, he said, "Oh, it's just it was just about transition." One word, just just one word. He didn't have a whole artist statement for it. 
You know what I mean? He, he didn't have, you know, some big nefarious plan that he was putting into action. He was just doing an art piece. And it was the most beautiful thing I have seen in months. It, 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 it cured whatever has been getting me down lately, if only temporarily. Well, you know, what's something about? What's that picture of? You know, it's just all this prepositional distance. It's like, and people don't even know what a preposition is. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just always this distance between something and something else. It's like, no, you either you either like it or you don't, or you're you're if you want to be offended, fine. But it's not something of something. It's not a you know about something. You know, it is something or it's not, you know, Mm -hmm. God, where did all these prepositions come? And people don't have any idea about, you know, the eight parts of speech. You you could just, you know, weary yourself into the Mm -hmm. ground Mm -hmm. talking about that with young people and all the people who go, well, no, we can't have anything like the parts of speech introduced because people of color won't be able to understand that. You think, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Of course they understand it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Racist, liberal, you know, idiots. You know, it's like, God damn it. I mean, really. <laughs> I mean, this is not calculus, you know. I mean, right, I understand. Right. Some, I actually am really doing well in my calculus work. Yeah, again, you know, because I wanted to revisit it because I think that mathematics holds a key to a lot of understanding. But I don't understand how people can just go, uh, I, I can't deal with that because there's grammar and there's syntax and diction. And, and, and maybe some people have some different ideals about that. And, mm-hmm. well, that's what life is about. People have different ideas about things. Mm-hmm. You know, you idiots. Jesus, yeah. Lord. No, oh. Dave, David Lynch has the great quote, you know, he says, you make a piece of art and then people want you to talk about it, but what they don't realize is that the art is the talking. Um, He has another great quote where he's talking about his film Inland Empire, uh, and it comes from one of the Upanishads, and it's, uh, we are like the spider. We weave our life and move along in it. We are like the dreamer who dreams then lives in the dream. And I've always liked that applied to art. Whenever anybody asks what anything's about anymore, I just want people to say, we are like the spider. We weave our life and move along in it. And that's it. Just leave it well, at that. Well, you know, and Joseph Campbell, who got kind of caricatured towards the end of his life, who was a great uh, door opener into anthropology, mythology, literature, a cross-sectional, talk about an intersectional thinker. And he said, you have to learn how to recognize your own depths, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's a really practical Come back to the camp meeting, the camp meeting, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, all this learning and all this teaching and all these, you know, online courses. And yeah, well, you know, you got to come back to who you are and it, you know mm-hmm. it doesn't matter the mechanism the medium the 
the program that you decide to join or the, 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 you know, the certificate or university program that you're in or whatever, you know, it, it comes down to, well, all right, what do you want to learn and what are you capable of learning? You know, and no one asks that question. What are people capable of learning? You know, stand up and answer that question you know, and, and everyone goes, oh, no, you can't be that confrontational. Yeah, 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 you can be, you know. Right, because, for example, I'm not capable of knowing what goes on in the Large Hadron Collider. I don't get the math. <laughs> I don't get the math, and I probably never will get the math that goes into something like that. But it's okay. It's okay to know my limitations, because conversely, I can say I know what makes good writing. I know. And a lot of people who, you know, try to pass themselves off as writers don't know. Um, and I think that's no, why it's, it's so the other way around. That. You know, you only know, you only have confidence and security and, and real credence, credence in your dance or spear park mm-hmm. because you've yielded some things that you don't know. That's the key thing. That is the key thing. And, and it's not you're not saying that you will never know those things or you will not pursue some path of learning more, nor are you saying that your son is going to be just, uh, you know, a duplicate of your program mm-hmm. of right. learning. It, it, it's not that. It's not that. It, it's all about these, you know... It's 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 the it's the it's the shore. It really is the shore. You know, I I really don't like. I don't think I want to live along a major coastline again because I think it's just too emotional for me. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. when I walk along a major shore and and look forensically closely as I do, it's just too painful. I just you know, it's just too close. But I see life forms moving between static structures, seeking more organic life and possibility. You know, hermit crabs, you know, they move, you know, they're creatures within shells, you know. Everything is moving within some framework. And it's almost more than I can deal with. I'm a little Mm -hmm. bit, you know, that's my... That's where any kind of mental health issues that I have comes to the fore is on a really major tidal beach of any coast. I just, I I find myself so engaged, I really don't know how to deal with it. But I see that all these forms move between organic possibility and static, fixed, and final uh, and and really essentially fatal um, structures, and it, it's very I don't know I, I'm with those creatures moving you know I I, I want to feel I'm still moving moving to something you know e- even if it's shelter for a moment I accept a rigidity of structure you know I do mm-hmm. every structure is rigid you know rigidity in some way. But I don't want to get washed out in that shell 
when I can still move around. 